Welcome to the Unenlightened Podcast. I had been thinking about getting this podcast started for a good six months now, and it looks like it took a complete lockdown from a global pandemic for me to actually get the job done. So here we are, episode one of the podcast. I do want to talk a little about why I started this podcast before we get started with the actual episode. People who know me know that I blog about things I find interesting, and people who really paid attention to this blog would have noticed that this blog had been getting very little love of late and was practically inactive. The reason for the lack of activity is not because I have run out of interesting things to talk about or because I've become too lazy to write. It's because I've been feeling more and more uncomfortable writing about things that I'm not completely certain about. Putting stuff out as a blog feels like making a permanent record of my opinions to me. And the problem with this is I'm at a point in my life where I'm extremely uncertain about a lot of things. I often found myself critiquing the way some of my old blogs were worded and sometimes even disagreeing with my own older views. A written blog format for me feels too rigid to be compatible with my constantly changing views. With a podcast, I believe my tone would allow for listeners to better gauge my uncertainty on things. I would also like this podcast to be a celebration of this uncertainty because without admitting a lack of knowledge, there is no learning. For episode number one, I had a good friend of mine, Harish. I expect this to be the case for most podcasts, me conversing with my friends. This podcast did have to be recorded over the internet and the quality is hence mediocre at best. I am of course new to this and have really learned to appreciate the skill required to be a truly fluent speaker. I expect listeners to observe both of us thinking a lot on air and being truly scatterbrained at parts but I believe we can only get better with more episodes and practice. I do want to thank Harish for being super understanding about all of this. In this podcast, we talk about religion, specifically Hinduism. We talk about social media in India. We talk about free will. We talk about consciousness and much more. Without further delay, I bring you episode one of the Unenlightened Podcast. Okay, we have Harish on the podcast today. Hello, Harish. Hey, Rishi. Thanks for having me today. Uh, before we get started, congratulations are in order for Harish. He's a newly married man. So congratulations. Thanks, man. Uh, doesn't feel any different now. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's jump uh, right into it. So I have high hopes for this podcast. I, uh, I feel like there's an interesting conversation to be had here, especially given our history. I think the last uh, good conversation that I had with Harish is uh, when I used to live with him. And that's almost two years ago. I feel or I kind of sense that there has been a slight shift in the way he's been thinking about certain things. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, dig into that more. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, turn the mic on you, Harish, and have you uh, describe your current stance on religion. <laughs> All right. So uh, that was a quick start. So just to jump right into the topic, uh, if I have to... Uh, speak about religion. I, I believe coming from a uh, uh, an Orthodox Indian Hindu uh, culture, uh, I strongly believe that uh, I was brought up in a, uh, a family that was uh, strictly following the principles and doctrines that was imposed on uh, uh, the society by the religion. So I had uh, no other choice than to basically follow uh, follow the herd. So uh, at, at the start, I didn't have any problem in believing that there was a, uh, uh, there was God associated to every religion and it, and it didn't even have the uh, 
thought process running behind my mind to uh, question that at all. Uh, and uh, and my personal understanding was uh, every religion has a god. That god is uh, the superpower above me that's going to be uh, deciding my future. Uh, in layman terms, I did not have any questions and I was just following it as in when I got a chance. And uh, until recently, uh, I had a lot of experiences that I wanted to uh, share with you, especially uh, based on some of my recent hobbies, uh, I would say. And that's uh, listening to a lot of uh, interesting uh, podcasts and uh, following uh, a lot of different uh, leaders in uh, specific uh, science and uh, uh, neuroscience topics. And that's trying to understand. Uh, and I wanted to say it's it's primarily uh, giving given me a, a different perspective of uh, my ideology. And I would like to say I'm under the transition from breaking down my own ideology and going to a completely different shift. Okay, that sounds interesting. So do you think there was like a tipping point that uh, kind of started off the shift or you was it just something that built up over time? I think I think it was uh, built up over time and I don't really know if there was any specific incident that uh, was uh, the icebreaker, I would say. Uh, but, I, but I still had the uh, uh, constant idea that I have to learn from different perspectives and opinions of my peers. And uh, that led to believe, uh, th that led, I believe, to reason out from the positives and the negatives from each and every aspects. So when I, when I started to understand that every different person who follows a different religion, uh, no matter what ideology that he follows, uh, if, if someone follows a religion, if someone is, in, uh, is a theist or someone who believes in God or, or religion and if he's a staunch follower of that, uh, I strongly believe that uh, he has a strict principle that allows him to uh, lead his life based on certain morals and principles. And if someone who does not believe in religion and a superpower uh, that's managing the whole universe, I, I believe he works in a very uh, a pragmatic way and his life is more of trying to understand every outcome uh, based on based on what's, uh, what's happening right now in their life. So my, my, my tipping point, I would say, is by trying to learn from different different people and trying to reason out which is good and bad from their opinion. Okay, I think that was a really interesting point right there. So you seem to make a, a distinction between how religious people get their morality and how non-believers uh, get their morality. Do you think in, in a practical sense, does it make uh, any difference? Because um, I will be going in depth about that, hopefully sometime uh, soon, but... Uh, do you think there's like an obvious difference or like a, um, you know, one is better than the other kind of difference between having your moral values from religious text or religious beliefs and having your uh, moral compass from elsewhere, from secular uh, sources? Just to know, just to understand the question, uh, is your question about... Okay, my, my, my question basically is, is, so you did make a distinction, right, that... Uh, Religious people get their morality from religion, but mm -hmm. uh, non-believers get it from, you said, pragmatic, uh, like taking each day as it comes, I guess, mm -hmm. and dealing with problems as is. Uh, do you think one system is better than the other, or is it just two ways of looking at the same problem 
And do you think both are equally effective? I, I would definitely say there is no one system that would be the un, a universal solution for every society or the whole human being. Uh, yeah. So I, I, the way I will approach that question is by trying to understand what works for each individual. If uh, if there's yeah. someone who's been uh, who has the ability to understand the science behind uh, each each occurrence or each events in their lives, uh, then I I don't think there's any need or uh, there's any reasoning uh, that goes behind uh, the topic Having of religion. Yeah. Yes, I don't I don't necessarily I don't necessarily need a god to tell me that the reason why this particular event happened uh, is because of the good deeds that you did in the in the past. I don't need that. So I I if I am considering myself as a person who uh, lives in a uh, in a, in an experimental world and who believes in in factual uh, events, I would rather believe on the uh, on the science, or uh, I would have to say I would rather believe on the data than uh, anything else. Does that answer okay. the question? Yeah, I think that was a, and um, I'm kind of gonna play devil's advocate here because I've heard a, a few people answer this question slightly differently, uh, and I think you also answered that part here. Um, and I think that was a, a key distinction here. You said that if a person is able to uh, scientifically reason out and come up with a logical explanation for his problems, of course, he's not going to have a need uh, for any kind of external power there. Um, the most common pushback I get on this, because this is exactly what I, this is the, exactly the way I also answer this question, is that in the case of children, uh, by by default, they don't have that kind of uh, logical reasoning that adults possess. So uh, a lot of people seem to think that for a kid that's growing up, it's just easier to say, hey, don't do this. There's a, there's an invisible power that's always watching you. And if you lie, you're going to be punished uh, rather than trying to explain in detail the cause and effect of uh, the wrong deeds that, that he does. So what do you think about that? Should we uh, maybe come up with a different system uh, that works for kids? Because clearly uh, trying to reason with kids is not um, an easy thing to do. I, uh, I definitely agree with you on the point uh, to a certain extent where you said uh, kids right now primarily are uh, growing up in a, in a society and that society is dominating their childhood uh, with, with, the, with, the un, with the non-existent forces. Uh, mm. uh, that's, that's overpowering uh, their lives and that's basically, you know, deciding what they have to do. So I would okay. definitely agree. I, I would definitely agree with you on that where uh, mm. we shouldn't, we should try to see if there is a different solution that we might have to approach. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, if, if, go ahead. I personally think that there is. So, Oh, do you have, are, I mean, I, I'd be interested to listen to that though. Or no, no, I'm, I'm just saying that uh, there has to be a solution, right? Because there are countries in this planet that are extremely secular, that, uh, don't have any kind of moral compass uh, that is based on a supernatural power. And kids there just grow up fine. They don't turn out to be murderers or uh, terrorists any more than the next country. So clearly there is a way. Um, um, so there has to be, uh, like you said, maybe it's just pragmatic or maybe just kids 
they learn on learn that on their own um and there might also be a biological backing for uh, that kind of morality because um we are uh, a social animal and uh, for example kids that are rude to each other uh just by way of natural selection um they don't get along with a lot of people and they hardly get uh you know uh, the satisfaction of uh, being part of a bigger community which is essential uh to uh, development of their social uh, facilities so uh maybe there's like a a, a biological urge for for uh, certain behaviors to be uh you know prioritized like being kind saying the truth uh but again i'm i, I don't I don't I'm not too certain about this. This is something that uh, I have been thinking about uh, and I found interesting, but I don't know yet if uh, uh, the exact step-by-step guide, I guess, on how you would get uh, how you would teach morality to uh, little kids. I understand. Now that I think of it, I am uh, going to uh, try to see if I can make sense to you. Uh and when, when you talked about uh, the way kids uh, grow up in our current environment, I believe there uh we have the technological advancements uh that can support uh anything and everything that's around us with uh with scientific facts and at the same mm-hmm. time you should also understand uh how overwhelming it can get to someone who is trying to scientifically prove uh the effect of a certain event is due to this uh this cause so mm-hmm. especially to kids yes especially and I believe from a parenting parenting perspective uh uh if i am looking at my child and if i want him or her to understand that uh by my definition of saying that this is and if this is a, a this is an event that would give you that that will add that will have a positive value uh and have a a positive result at the end of this event i i would definitely try to give them a a a, a logical reasoning behind that but if they don't seem to get that and if they're still not uh able to perceive that information i don't think that i have any i would have any problem going back to uh to my my parents's technique of saying you know what if you do this there's someone sitting on top of us who would give you uh a lot of good things in the in the future so i more or less uh think that there's no one universal way of approaching this problem but i but i would mm. i would definitely second you on your thought process saying that we might have to bring in something that can transition our future into something more realistic rather than mm. having a uh, a superficial story if i would say okay. i did think that the last point that you made is kind of dangerous there uh saying that it's okay uh, to fall back on the religious stories if logical reasoning doesn't work uh what why don't we just fall back onto uh traditional you know like uh if you do something bad you're getting a time out and uh, maybe like a reward system maybe give them something that they like uh for what they do but again i, I feel like uh, morality has to have some kind of logical basis or uh, you're just doing something for the for the reward that you expect in the future uh which i feel is a bad attitude to have but okay uh i think this feels like a dead end so let's kind of switch topics over uh to a little bit uh from the tone you take on religion i feel like you're not actively critical of people who who are religious you seem to have your own thing and you let people do their own thing is that 
an accurate representation of your thoughts? Yes, I would definitely say so. And I would, I would always want to take a neutral standpoint on that because uh, at the end of the day, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And at the same time, uh, if anything at all seems illogical to me, uh, and uh, I would definitely point that out uh, in terms of going out of their way. If, if something happens that goes out of my moral scope, I would try my level best to try to stop them from doing that. But if it's going out of my control, I would say it's every man for himself. So I would definitely okay. take a neutral standpoint on that. Yes. Okay. This is, I think, where we start to digress, I guess. Uh, I do make it an active job of mine <laughs> to call people out. Uh, I don't, don't I worry don't, about I, it. I've, I've been with you for two years, so I know I know how it is. So. Yeah. I, I know it's not, uh, it's not my uh, crowning moment, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, something that I can't resist, man. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like I would like to, uh, the reason that I brought this up is, okay, before I dive into that, I want to make it uh, extremely clear to the audience that when we talk about religion, it's primarily uh, Hinduism. We're talking about our culture, the culture that we grew up in. And that would basically be uh, South India and Hinduism. So this might not uh, appeal to everyone who's listening, but uh, there's a little caveat right there. Um, okay, so what I'm going to do now is uh, kind of break down Hinduism into almost three tiers, okay? So I'm going to start off with the most extreme believers, okay? So these are the, the people who are going out and murdering people for eating cows. Uh, these are people who are militant against uh, non-believers who have a... Uh, a hatred towards Muslims or people of other religion. Um, so I'm going to call these people the extremists. So these are analogous to uh, the extremists on every other religion. And I think most people, most sane people would agree that these people uh, should not, um, you know, have any kind of authority over political or they should not be allowed to do what they want. Um, the next tier of people, I'm going to call these people the moderates, and these people make up inevitably the largest uh, population of Hindus. So these are the people who, you know, don't eat beef, but don't go out of their way to say that everyone else should not eat beef. These are the people who follow some degree of ritualistic practices. It might be a belief in astrology might be a belief in certain rituals that they do. It might be making uh, donations to a temple. Uh, and I believe that these people make up the, you know, uh, uh, sig the significant population of uh, Hindus. And then there's, uh, then there's the, I'm going to call these people secular. Uh, and I'm going to kind of group in uh, the people who are openly non-believers and people who have a personal belief system, uh, people who don't exactly subscribe to Hindu ritualism, people who are openly calling out uh, the bullshit of numerology or astrology, saying it's a waste of time. Uh, but I don't, like, if they have their own personal belief system and it doesn't affect anyone else, I'm, I'm really not bothered there. I'm just going to group them along with non-believers because they, they essentially don't have any religious effect on anyone outside of themselves. Uh, would you uh, agree with this, uh, you know, uh, assessment of the three tiers of religion? 
Yes, I, I, I would definitely do that because that sums that sums up everything about uh, religion. Uh, and, okay. I, and I really like the way that you didn't dive deep into the uh, to the segmentation of each and every one. So, but this pretty much sums everything. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay. Okay. So my criticism of you being okay. So I I'm, I'm gonna assume that uh, you are even though you said uh, I'm gonna be respectful of uh, everyone's. Uh, uh, feelings. I I don't expect you to be defending the extremists, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to condemn those kind of acts of violence, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so we don't have any kind of disagreement there. But when it comes to the moderates, I feel like you're more apologetic to uh, those kind of beliefs. Um, they have their own kind of things. Okay, if that guy believes in astrology, it's up to him. But you have to understand that. These are these are a set of beliefs that are actually harmful to that person, or could be harmful. Uh, you know, it could essentially be harmful. You you have to agree that a person is better off by logically reasoning his way um, through po- uh, at problem solving than letting it in the hands of con- complete randomness. Uh, so I feel like it's almost irresponsible, in a sense, to let these people be. Uh, and watch them maybe suffer, I guess. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I would definitely uh, try to break this down into a couple of uh, different answers, maybe try to piece this together at the end. So the first thing is I would definitely not support the the tier one uh, sample of uh, okay. groups that I would say, mm-hmm. which is trying to do the extreme, extreme uh, events that are happening currently around the globe. Uh, using religion in the, in the name of uh, using religion as a tool uh, to try to try and emphasize terrorism. Try, I mean, I would I would go uh, and you you know what not. So there's a lot of events happening right now around yes, the world that's exactly. that's, yeah. that's basically terrorizing people, and uh, that that's something that I would uh, uh, definitely resist, and I would always uh, be against that kind of an ideology and okay. uh, trying to trying to. Uh, drop down to the second section is where you talked about the moderate believers. I would try to uh, disagree with you on that because I don't necessarily think I have uh, I have the freedom to go and uh, try to reason out to everyone uh, and have them uh, believe what I say is the right or wrong. So if, if I can put it differently, uh, I don't, I don't want to be uh, the advocate of someone's uh, choices so everybody has the has their right to believe in what they think is morally right and uh, and i would I, and i would want them to choose what's right or wrong but at the same time i'm going to do whatever i can from in my power uh to explain them and and have them understand the consequences of their of their of their study or of, of their of their process so i i, I don't necessarily think I would be responsible if I don't, uh, if I don't indulge myself in explaining uh, the moral policing. Uh, mm. I, I don't want to be a moral police for someone who, who already thinks what he's doing is right. As long as it does not affect the, the, uh, the larger group of population, uh, I don't, I don't have any problem with that, and I don't but see any that's problem. But that's the, that's the thing, right? It does affect a lot of people. So that's the entire problem here. Like you have the largest population of Hindus who think it is okay to believe that a set of mantras or, uh, you know, uh, stars lining up 
is going to decide their future. And uh, I want to make one thing clear here. I don't expect you uh, to go on stages and uh, try and call everyone stupid for believing in something. Uh, my, I think that, uh, I think you also agree with this uh, from the way you explained it. You said that you would do everything in your power uh, with the people around you to try and explain uh, logically what their stance is and uh, that is actually all that I expect. So change has to start from within the moderates, right? So if more and more moderates are uh, starting to call out people that, uh, that follow these practices that have no evidence of having any effect on their lives, then you, you see a large number of moderates turn more secular. Like they're going from tier one, uh, tier two to tier one almost. And uh, you have this increase in population of people in, uh, in the first tier. And that can only be for the good, right? So yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't think that anyone should, or maybe they could, like people of, people who have a large audience, people who are influential over people, uh, they need to have a responsibility to be really careful with what they say. This is where I have uh, some criticism of the prime minister of India and also some of the other religious leaders who have a huge influence over a large number of people. And when they go out spewing uh, all these thoughts of, uh, you know, ritualism, uh, that that just negatively impacts the Indian society. I feel like they need to have a huge responsibility for the things that they say because they're affecting a lot of people. Um, as for people like you and me, our effort has to be focused on the people around us and uh, you know the, the generations that follow. I feel we have a responsibility there to be more rational and more uh, you know, logical about the way uh, people think. Would you uh, mm -hmm. agree with that or is there any pushback on that? I, if I take a step back and analyze what you just said, I think I would uh, support you on that because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think, I'm going to start talking as I'm thinking. So I'm just trying to process everything as much as I can. So yeah, I, I think would, both I would, of I, us are. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I would definitely, I would definitely say that to an extent, a lot of the moderates who I consider as myself and you at the moment are trying to reason out to people on, on the two extremes uh, to bring them down to a common ground uh, to understand, to make them believe uh, uh, that when you, when you started talking about uh, the example of the current prime minister of India and the sort of influence uh, his party has on the entire nation, I, if I, as an individual, I do not have uh, an iota of uh, understanding or support. I wouldn't support that kind of ideology where uh, their current their current rules and the current the current uh, the bills that are getting passed uh, in the political climate has anything that anything to do with the improvement of a country in the future the economy is down and it's uh it's spiraling spiraling down and the, the amount of uh the religious rights that's happening specifically that involves the extremists at the moment are just skyrocketing and it's it's deeply saddening me uh mm. because that's bringing out a uh, a negative impact or a negative image and that's that's what globally uh is viewed at the moment as India as India's 
in India, which is the strongest, uh, which is one of the largest uh, democracy in the world, has no power uh, and and it's solely looked at a Hindu nationalist country. Would you agree to that? Would you agree to that at the at the moment? Yeah, it does look threateningly close to that, but I do feel like uh, we're not there yet. I wouldn't call us that yet, but uh, yeah, I do fear that we might end up there. And 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 uh, to add to the point, I just wanted to keep keep going on with the comment. I would I would still think that you that moderates like you and me are trying their level best uh, to reason out and explain uh, to the largest to the larger group of population. But I think it, it's getting suppressed by the political powers and that gets suppressed and our voices are basically uh, faded out on such a large population. And, and, and I'm not saying that as a uh, uh, as an excuse. Uh, and it's no excuse for me to say, uh, I, I, I want to be in my shelter and I want to make sure that I, I'm safe under my roof. I, I as someone who, uh, who thinks uh, in, a, in a logical and a pragmatic way, I would want everybody to think like me, but at the same time, I would, I would definitely not. I, I think at some point in time, I would be a little un- uncomfortable, and I, would, when I start calling out people, particularly uh, for their beliefs that's deep rooted within their culture and society, that's going to hurt their feelings. I believe that's what uh, the mankind is, uh, mankind is built around, isn't it? So yeah, but you have to agree that there has to be a distinction or a value distinction between claims that have um, evidence to support that it's true and others that are based on complete baloney, right? You cannot expect both those values to hold, you know, the same kind of moral uh, equity. You cannot expect people to believe. So uh, what if someone was to believe um, that I think this was, an example used by Sam Harris in one of his debates. So he's like, what if there was a person who believed that Elvis Presley was still alive, right? You, yeah. the entire society would look at him with like with such a gaze that he would be forced or he would just be laughed at for having that kind of a belief. But if that belief was a religious belief, we're all afraid to offend him because... Uh, it's going to hurt his feelings. Of course, mm-hmm. the guy who believes Elvis, if you call him an idiot, it is going to hurt his feelings, right? Mm-hmm. But we still do it anyway. So there's this huge double standard uh, for religious beliefs that I think has to go away. There has to be a clear distinction between factually true statements and statements that are based on imaginary concepts that are not true. And no matter where these ideas emerge from even if it's religion or if it's from culture if it's bad and if it affects uh the entire society in a negative way we should still be calling them out on it um uh so that's my entire and i think that's the only real place where we disagree at all because in everything else i feel like uh uh we're in agreement here i would say so too yeah but uh, i would i would always try to play uh, a neutral, uh, in a neutral standpoint, because at some point, when when that transition happens for moderates like us to go mm-hmm. and uh, try to police those uh, who are in the other extremes, it's going to hurt. Yes, I agree with you on that. But at the same time, what are 
or moderates willing to pay the price uh, to go to that extent? Do I, I, are you and I willing to go to that extent? Perhaps is mm. the larger group of moderates willing to go to that extent? I don't think so. I highly doubt that. Well, uh, okay. I'm gonna in, in a more realistic way. I don't. I don't expect the current huge group of moderates to uh, suddenly become more secular. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. but I do feel like we have the ability for the next generation to be brought up in a much more secular world. That way, maybe in 20 years from now, we have a larger population of people mm-hmm. who are way more logical and don't believe in as as many of these ritualisms as uh, the current population of Hindus do. I think I it's agree. already it's already headed in that direction. It's already yes. happening. But uh, we do have an act of responsibility to, uh, you know, push for that kind of uh, logical reasoning, especially uh, in the current time, because I feel like uh, almost the theocracies are making a comeback almost in the last five years. Like people seem to get more and more irrational for some reason. <laughs> uh, that does kind of worry me. And that's that's the only reason why I'm having this conversation at all. Because um, I think about two years ago, uh, mm-hmm. when we had a talk, like my my usual ending statement would be, just see 20 years from now, you guys are not going to have any religion to debate about. But I still, now I still I'm, hear that. <laughs> yeah, but now I feel like I'm more worried now because it, it seems like people subscribe to that mob culture where they where they identify to be a part of a bigger group and uh, they want to be a part of uh, some kind of a you know cult or some kind of a bigger group that uh and i feel like religion in the bad way might make a uh, make a comeback which i'm worried about yeah that's that's definitely something that i would also second second you on that because uh like like just like just like how you mentioned uh specifically when we talk about the Indian government, the way it's they, the way it's transitioning into our future, uh, mm. this is exactly what I think is going to spiral us down uh, in a global image when we see uh, when 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 two entities which have no relation altogether uh, is superimposed into one. Mm. Uh, I'm talking about uh, politics, the Indian politics, which is unfortunately strongly correlated to uh, religion. Hinduism and religion, and I think it's it's basically a catalyst that's used by uh, a lot of our our leaders, and that's basically driving uh, a huge number of population uh, into making those irrational decisions. And uh, I would I I want to say that I don't uh, really see that kind of a future where people get more religious and mm-hmm. people make more irrational decisions and they make uh, from from a from a realistic standpoint. I don't really know if the moderates are going to incline towards the extremists, but I would but I would strongly. I, I think the the whole sample uh, since you split that in two is going to have a constant shift towards the future, and the timeline is going to keep moving forward, and the population is going to travel along with that. And I don't necessarily think that there's going to be a huge shift in the extremist population because of the fact that the younger population at the moment are realizing that uh, people people right now are making... Do you think uh, we might be in a, 
I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you think we might be in 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 a bubble right there when you said that you think that the uh, the more rational population is is growing because first of all we are from a state that's extremely or you know uh, tends to keep religion out of politics um, and also most of the people that we interact with are uh, educated people right most of our friends they went to college they most, a lot of us have uh, master's degrees so our circle our bubble seems to be one of uh, a more secular educated one do you think it would be accurate to make that judgment uh, based on the people around us because i i don't know like i honestly don't know because i feel the exact same way i feel like a lot more people around me are being more and more logical but the country seems to be doing the exact opposite thing so i feel like there might be a disconnect between the people we're surrounded by and the rest of the country uh, do you i I, I, so I, i don't i don't think so because mm-hmm. uh when when you talk about uh your specific your inner circle or or mm-hmm. or your uh, your peers who are making those logical connections i think that branches out into uh, a significantly uh, a larger population which okay at the end of the day would would you know bound into the moderates but at the same time the reason why we have uh, the extreme uh, events happening right now is because the people on on power uh, they're trying to they, they they're the ones that make call so mm-hmm. i believe those uh, those people uh, it, i i think it's really going to be difficult for us uh, to try to reason with people in power and i think there's no point in arguing uh, with people who have uh, the ideology which directly disagrees with you and me so mm-hmm. i don't necessarily think that we are in a bubble i think this is only going to be uh, a larger expanding population uh, moving forward because as moderates we know what's right or wrong you have your own definition of uh, your own morality and i'll have mine backed up with whatever evidence i have so i don't necessarily think it's it's going to shrink in the future but okay. i would strongly say that we are at, at least in my view uh, we're trying to voice out our disagreement uh, if if i am going back in the timeline 30 or 40 years behind now it's going to uh, it's going to be extremely difficult for me to voice out my opinion i w- i would be my voice would be mumbled and it will it will it will fade away uh, immediately but at least not right now i can make a stand anywhere i can mm-hmm. and say you know what your 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 ideology is completely uh completely has no base and uh, it's not based with any facts it's not based with any evidence and mm-hmm. i have the power with me so with that being said i strongly think we're moving towards the right direction but i won't say uh, the journey's there yet i think it's going to be a long tough battle okay i'm glad you have a more optimistic opinion than i do <laughs> uh okay uh i feel like we've been stuck here for a little bit but i want to make uh, a couple of comments on that last on the last thing that you said you you talked a little bit about people in power mm-hmm. uh being responsible with the things they say and i think that's a huge problem too i completely agree with you on that uh so here's another big question here do you think people in power should be silenced or they should be policed uh for about saying you know uh things that are not objectively true or factually inaccurate statements or should we expect 
the audience to be educated enough to call them out on their bullshit what what do you think is more realistic there should should the should should there be like active legislature against uh, people saying factually incorrect things but i fear that would be a against the freedom of speech right there like uh, if people are not allowed to say something so i would ideally want people to be educated enough to call people out on the bullshit that they say so what do you think is the what do you think is realistically possible i would say realistically uh the the leader in power should have the responsibility to be more conscious of uh his own speech and and his own decision that affects the larger group of people because let's face it uh it's going to be extremely difficult for me to go and expect the larger group of population unfortunately who have difference of differences of opinion and they're expecting the leader to give to show them the right direction mm-hmm. and and if that's the case if you're talking about a billion people and oh yeah i th- i think it's going to be extremely difficult and it's going to be a mammoth uh in terms of trying to re- reason out with that that huge number so i i think it's the responsibility of the leader on the top to make a a more pragmatic decision or a practical or a logical decision and 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 I agree with you and and I would also say that it's going to be difficult no matter who that leader is to come up with a with a decision that's going to support the larger group of population because mm-hmm. at the end of the day it's going to be difficult for him as well him or her as well so that's why he should be having an immediate team uh, of people who should have the power to question his mm. uh, his his decision and, and his choices and i think that's why uh i i want to say my country has uh that legislature already in place but that's unfortunately not being followed i wait we I have honestly, a what i am not aware of this do we have a legislature that prevents people from uh saying something is that no, I was, no what i was trying to say was i there's already a team that's that's supporting the leader uh, oh you're talking to, about okay you're talking about the houses okay yes yes okay, okay. so i'm talking about the the this the segment of how the government is split up and how the leader's group is basically supported by his high high officers right so mm-hmm. uh so his ministers and members of the legislature so they have uh they they are responsible equally responsible to support him in making that uh the right choice so mm-hmm. i would definitely don't think that it's going to be uh, a practical solution to expect the audience to mm-hmm. be more educated i don't think it's realistic why, why would you think so i wanted to I mean, try to understand oh my I... yeah first of all yeah i i think i agree with you again on this i i did not expect this podcast to go like this me agreeing with you on everything uh <laughs> but uh yeah i do believe that uh, people who have any kind of influence on a large set of people need to get the advice of experts or they need to have some kind of counsel before they go out there and spew rubbish at at all their followers because like you said yeah there's a huge amount of people who are going to follow what they say blindly uh the only reason that in an ideal world uh if you want to have a truly intelligent society i guess you would have enough educated people in it that nobody no matter how influential is able to get away with saying stupid things so even if you are the 
at the highest office in the country, uh, if you say something idiotic, like there's enough people to call you out on that, that would be, uh, you know, the kind of society that I would love to live in. But I don't know. And I have to agree with you that, that it's pretty unrealistic at the point. So, yeah, people in power really need to uh, start listening to experts. Uh, if you don't have any disagreement with that, uh, I think it's time to change topics. Would you agree? Yeah, I do. Yep. Okay. Uh, although I am going to switch topics a bit, I don't think it's uh, going too far from what we're currently talking. Uh, it is on ritualism. I want to talk a little bit of how about how the Indian government has been handling the entire pandemic situation. Um, first of all, I want to say that uh, compared to the country I'm currently in, the United States, um, mm-hmm. I do think that the Indian government was slightly faster to react and uh, the measures have been extremely stringent. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and... Uh, complain about the actions that they did take i want to give them credit where it's due because they did manage to lock down the entire country fairly rapidly but uh the point that i want to talk about is the amount of symbolism and ritualism that went along with it uh especially the i think we did three things i guess we the the prime minister made a speech on the on an evening and he expected the entire country to be locked down by the by midnight the same day then he came out i think this was march 5th and he said was this 25th i'm i might be completely wrong here but he said uh we're going to have a clap at 5 p.m. for 5 minutes for all the doctors and the healthcare workers and then uh more recently we had one uh for where we lit dias for nine minutes at 9 p.m. Uh, if So this is quite clearly, but I want to still give him the benefit of the doubt here. But to me, as an outsider who knows this Indian prime minister, this looks clearly like some kind of a ritualistic, uh, you know, s- like a symbolism thing or a numerology thing that he expects the entire country to get back on. Uh, again, I want to make it, absolutely obvious that i support what the what the government is doing outside of these rituals and i do also understand that uh, we do need to show solidarity as a nation during this time but what exactly is the benefit of having it done for nine minutes at 9 p.m and why did it have to be so ritualized uh, is my question Uh, what are your thoughts on that i would Wow, this is going to be interesting because I had a uh, similar feeling just like how you vented out your frustration on that. I have a, 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 a different sort of a heartburn, I would say, when uh, I started looking at images and when I started looking at uh, some of the videos that came out on the social media uh, where people started flocking out and completely stopped uh, to realize why this was initially started. I think I think the whole intention behind the uh, the prime minister's uh, decision to bring in those two specific type of events was to unite the country in some sort of an aspect to mm-hmm. to join them with with to a, to a certain cause to try to bring a little bit of positivity uh, to their uh, to their lives now that they're basically in a in a totally uh, lockdown situation and people are basically panicked 
And I think I think it was brought out in a good gesture. But I think the way it trickled down into uh, uh, the the larger the larger mass was was completely unacceptable. I think people misinterpreted it completely. And uh, to to specify, and I wanted to break it down by two events. The first event, which happened on uh, on a specific date, uh, where we were expected to uh, clap uh, for as an appreciation. Uh, to our healthcare workers and the frontline officers trying to fight the pandemic. I think that was uh, totally mistaken by the larger group of masses when they flocked out and they started to uh, do a uh, a walkout in the streets with the, with roughly about 100 to 200 people. So that is something that was, I, it was, it was saddening to me as someone who was sitting uh, in a whole new country. And uh, I felt sorry for those people. And at the same time, I don't. I don't really know if the whole uh, situation was expected by the uh, to the prime minister. In, uh, to be honest with you, because I I wasn't expecting him. I think it would have been a shocker for him as well. Is where I'm going. Because yeah, but I, I think he, uh, like India was not. This was not an original idea, right? Like there was uh, there was other countries that are that were doing it. Um, they were doing the clap. Uh, I think they were doing it every Thursday in the United Kingdom or something like that. But they've been doing it on in different places. But why did the reaction? And I have to say that there have been instances like this on in other mm-hmm. countries. I think Brazil just broke out into a parade of trumpets, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And there have been instances in uh, the U.S. where th- you've had. Uh, kids go out on spring break holidays, have the coronavirus parties and stupid shit mm-hmm. like that. And you've had, uh, there's also been people in Italy who went out to play Pokemon. So I feel <laughs> like every country does have uh, its own set of stupid people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I do kind of agree with you that it it felt like, or maybe because we follow a lot of Indian people on social media, but it did feel like, it did go wrong way more in India than it did in different countries. Uh, but yeah, that might be totally optics here uh, because we do follow a lot of Indian pages. So uh, mm-hmm. we might be completely wrong on that without the statistics. But uh, my uh, like this is why I want to stay away from you know discussing events. I would rather discuss ideas because ideas uh, are fixed and events you know like we don't have the right data we don't know if it was a success or a failure so mm-hmm. let's try and stick to the idea of uh, ritualism here so do you think that it's actually valuable to have that kind of a uh, you know a symbolic representation and why why do you think the indian society is so attracted by it i absolutely haven't uh no answer for specifically understanding why India has to be uh, so stringent in following a specific set of rules and the idea behind following certain sort of rituals and it's especially you know the one where uh, the government expected uh, you know all all the houses to light a dia for nine minutes at nine o'clock it totally does not make sense so I I I, I think the intention behind that I want to and again I wanted to sound optimistic. And I wanted to take the, just a positive at, down the end of the tunnel. And I wanted to say the intention behind all of that is to, you know, brighten uh, the mood of the larger population. But I I don't know. It's, it just doesn't make sense for me to, you know, light, light a candle for nine minutes. I, 
you know, and completely switch off the lights. And 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 something that that actually made sense was when when I started looking at certain uh, uh, officials getting really worried about that decision because once you know, it, it, when once when the government started giving out the decision and when when that rolled out to the entire nation, uh, these the electricity commission. Uh, in India, oh, yeah. they started they started uh, fearing that the power grid could collapse when <laughs> we shut down for nine minutes, and then we and when we start back up, it could be a, a whole new chaos. But yeah. I mean, thankfully, unfortunately, nothing happened. And uh, but this, I don't really know what's the idea behind that, and I don't necessarily. Uh, I, I would I would still want to stick away uh, from from indulging in you know understanding all that to get all together, but. I hope the intention was just to bring the unity together of the entire population. Okay. I have a few theories. Um, oh, you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about this. Okay. Uh, I have a few theories, not from the the, the government standpoint. Um, like I said, I, I kind of want to stay away from that because right now, what despite everything that has kind of gone wrong, I feel like we as a nation are doing really well to deal with the pandemic. So I don't want to be too critical of the government on that right now. So I'm going to think of this um, more from the perspective of Indians and why Indians are so, you know, uh, obsessed. I, I think obsessed might be a strong word more. Uh, how Why Indians are so captivated by uh, ritualism. So the first obvious one that comes to mind is that our cu- entire culture and religion is a ritualistic one. So... Uh, it might just make uh, it might have just struck a nerve uh, with uh, a lot of Indians and they might find it uh, you know uh, something that they could get behind because it's so similar to a lot of their cultural things uh, number two uh, this one is pretty debatable and there might be a huge bias here because I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, cinema in general so I feel like Indian cinema has a huge history of being extremely theatric and especially and extremely over the top and creating these huge, uh, you know, over the top gestures and like dance numbers and all of that uh, unrealistic things, maybe. Uh, and of course, we are the if I'm not wrong, we are the largest consumers of uh, cinema in the world in India. So uh, that might be an influence. But yeah, that, that, that might be a totally personal bias. But the third one, and the one that I want to talk about uh in detail is social media um in all of these uh, in in both of these instances the first thing that happened the second after the actual ritual was completed was everyone wanted to share this on their social media like my family group was flooded with like pictures of all my uncles and like (laughs) holding all the candles and doing that and this so clearly India has this obsession of uh, uh, obsession with social media and sh- showing off, um, you know, that they belong to this larger group uh, and showing some kind of solidarity. Maybe that that might be in a good way, but there clearly is a, a little bit of obsession with social media. What do you think about that? I would definitely agree with you one hundred percent. Specifically, because I had the exact same thing happen to me when I uh, was talking to my uh, parents when that specific uh event it was happening and uh my family went to the to the extent of you know doing a little bit of a uh, uh a prayer for that nine minutes and 
with no offense to what they had in their mind it was with uh with all due respect they wanted to you know it's it's their way of uh, you know trying to bring out the positivity in them mm-hmm. but uh i think i think social media uh is one of the biggest influences and i want to agree with you on that specifically and this obsession uh i've been looking at this obsession on the uh, on the larger group of audiences uh because it's it's primarily i, I want to say i think social media brings a lot of empowerment to an individual so if if someone has social media in their hand and uh, i think they have a huge power so mm-hmm. they can voice out their opinion and that can go to uh, a completely random person and that can affect their pers- that specific individual's idea and their thought process so 15 20 years before i didn't have the power to reach out to the prime minister or and let alone my uh my house owner mm-hmm. but right now i have the ability to directly tweet to the highest uh ranked officer in the in, the, in my country and uh and there is a there is a slight chance of getting a huge getting an immediate response uh from the same person because social media is such but is is so powerful and mm-hmm. i think social media brings in a little bit of uh, a an individual empowering feeling and uh, i think that obsession is associated with the empowerment is what i think is going to uh be the reason behind all of this mm. outcomes what do you think about that i completely agree with you again yes it's, uh, it's really no debating the fact that uh as a individual you have a superpower almost for your voice to be heard by anyone in the in the planet so yeah there is a, a huge amplification of the voice of the individual with social media and another problem that i see that's growing a lot and this might be something that's uh, specific to india because uh, it, it's the obsession with whatsapp and uh, the the spread of misinformation on that on that social platform um i do think that it would be unfair to you know uh lay all of this criticism on the users because clearly uh middle-aged people uh, or middle-aged indians have never experienced anything like this before they have never been disconnected to the external world before this and it's clearly obvious that this sudden way of exchanging information so rapidly has caused them to lose control a bit um well, like for example i think when we i think we were in like the extreme you know like the optimal age range for the social media revolution right so when mm-hmm. the likes of whatsapp facebook and instagram when those got popular i think we were right in college um and this was a time when uh you know we had some sense of uh uh adulthood and we were starting to learn stuff of course we made a lot of stupid mistakes with social media but we were in college and it was okay to make those kind of mistakes and we were in a process of learning that and by the time i left college as a much more you know uh mature person uh, i had learned how to deal with social media when you know how to trust the information that i see on social media and what not but 
for for middle-aged moms and dads uh, at the age of 40 to 50, when they're given this uh, completely new thing of social media, it completely overwhelms them with information. And I have had this stance for a long time that people above the age of 40, it's really hard for them to have any kind of change in opinion. I feel like your ideologies are pretty rigid by the time you hit 40. So when these when people in the age of 40 and above are, you know, fed information from WhatsApp, it it becomes really hard for us to convince them that not all information that is spread to this type of social media is accurate and uh, it becomes a uh, you know, it becomes it becomes a problem that affects not just one, but a huge amount of people, and the and the rate with which this mis- misinformation can spread is alarming, because uh, one person could spread it to a group of a hundred people, and that could multiply hundred times. It's 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 like exponential spread of uh, misinformation. So, I think India just got into this entire social media landscape uh, in an unfortunate time. And uh, a lot of people have not really learned how to use it yet, uh, in the sense, be responsible with it yet. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh my God, it just sounds so so realistic at the moment because I was just having this uh, argument with my family and my uh, mm-hmm. wife's family a couple of days back uh, when they uh, when we were talking to them over uh, WhatsApp and we we were basically video chatting with them and when we tried to uh, speak to them about a couple of things and you know we wanted to make sure that everybody in her family is doing well and everybody in my family is doing well that's when uh, just before we had the call uh, my father sent me a message uh, about a uh, about the reason why uh, the prime minister of india gave that specific order to uh, <laughs> to light the deer for nine minutes and it was just pathetic and I was just trying to you know I was losing my patience but I was trying to make myself uh composed before I let my anger out because I was so frustrated I was going to burst out but you know I think uh as uh as an individual at the moment and from uh from a society standpoint it's uh inevitably uh in our hands to you know, teach our parents how to use uh, the social media, and uh, mm. there was even there was even a fight between my wife and her parents uh, when uh, they were actually following one of that, and then they were trying to forward that to a couple of other people. And in fact, it was it was a never-ending argument. But at the end of the day, they listened to us, and you know, <laughs> we we made sure that that we broke the chain. So I was yeah. happy with that. But but I don't. I don't think, uh, for some reason, uh, India's obsession with social media and especially with uh, the way such conspiracy theories are getting spread over a large people. I don't think it has uh, a stop. I, as much as I wanted to stop right, right when I see it, I think it's going to be an extremely uh, huge task and difficult mm-hmm. one too because because of the. Uh, number of people who are using it especially uh and i and i really like the way you put it when you talked about people who are aged 40 and above because they have a solid set of uh uh ideology already set in their mind and all they're focused right now is 
to you know spread as much of information as they can and then you're mm. forwarding all those conspiracy theories uh which in our minds makes no sense at all for them it makes a huge difference when when they try to forward that message imagine what kind of an impact that it makes for that particular person in that moment they would mm. they would feel so empowered that they educated 50 or 60 people in that minute by forwarding that message it it just exactly. makes the so that's that's painful as much as it sounds but i wanted to say it's going to be really difficult i don't i, I think i read a uh a, a news article uh i don't know if it was today or yesterday but i was trying i was reading about it and i was actually pretty happy about it too when uh, people were t- i think it was about whatsapp curbing the option of forwarding a message to not more than one person so i haven't tried that i i don't know if it was specific to a certain country or if it's specific to a certain region of a country but i i'm really glad at least the spread of misinformation is uh, being dealt in a in a logical way because uh, you know when you when you present a tool and when you present a a powerful tool such as whatsapp facebook and social media such as twitter it just gives them a a vast expanse of absolute you know superpower that makes yeah. them that doesn't it, what makes you think that they're going to give uh, a responsible comment so mm-hmm. it just goes on and on and on and I, as much as i wanted to stop then and there it's going to be really difficult but i would but i think this is where uh uh we as individuals needs to be responsible we have to be responsible enough to educate our uh, our parents and their group of people and uh, and you just we just we just have to make peace with it when the information is already passed on and then you just have to try to break the chain somewhere in between yeah and even when you compare it to uh, the raw availability of or the ease of access to information so if you wanted to uh, have information on let's say a coronavirus and uh, in in the 1980s you would have to drive all the way down to the library find a book on viruses i guess and learn about it but now there's this unlimited stream of information that's being delivered straight to your mobile phone in your hand and it's it's just out of control there's just uh, no way to police it um yeah i do agree that it's one of the biggest problems that we're facing and i honestly don't have any kind of solution to this uh uh yeah i do agree that people like us um or more educated people in general need to put in the effort to uh you know say that everything coming in whatsapp is not fact and uh, people need to be more responsible with uh with the information that they spread uh another thing uh this might be a bit of a digression from the topic but talking about whatsapp um uh there is this um you know a kind of a balance between privacy and accountability uh there there has been a lot of people not a lot um a few people arguing that by companies like whatsapp and facebook making their messaging platforms end to end encrypted right so mm-hmm. not even the company could look at your messages even if they wanted to so that sounds like the ideal scenario from a privacy standpoint 
right? Nobody knows what you send. Uh, your messages can only be read by the receiver. Mm -hmm. But by doing this, what WhatsApp and Facebook, uh, Facebook in general, are doing is they are completely uh, foregoing all responsibility of the content that's shared on their platform, right? So you could you could literally plan a terrorist attack on WhatsApp and nobody is monitoring that. There's no way to know because nobody can access that information. Um, so a lot of people are arguing that um, maybe there has to be some kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word policing, but there has to be some kind of regulation imposed on the type of information that can be shared on WhatsApp. I know it's a obvious breach in privacy, but I don't know, like at times uh, you have to weigh, uh, weigh the different, like the benefits between privacy and security uh, and decide which is better for the country as a whole. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I still I still believe that there has to be some degree of privacy. Um, but yeah, this is a really tough question, right? Uh, I yeah, have that's no what I, I was trying to understand. I, yeah. I don't necessarily have a, a, a straightforward answer. I can beat around the bush, but I, I don't think I would uh, I would expect the social media giants to have a sort of a solution to you know monitor or somehow uh, you know have a regulated uh, measure to uh, handle the privacy of our information. But it's in, in my eyes it's going to be a complete it's going to be a total complete data breach, uh, mm. regardless of what, what, what type of information that they're looking at. So, but, but I, uh, you know, if, if talking about the end to end encryption, I'm not really a tech geek and I'm not really, uh, uh and I haven't really dived, uh, deep into understanding how that works, but, you know, back in, back in the mind, I always, uh, I, I always try to, you know, tone down my level of, uh, I, th I think I take it with a pinch of salt when when big when the big social media giants say that all of our information is end-to-end uh, -end encrypted and nobody uh, other than us can take our data because at at some point in time I think we've already uh, you know put our information on the in the in the internet and it's already there anybody yep. can can essentially. Uh, you know, track my location. Anybody can track my information uh, if if they have you know a simplest piece of information. So I don't necessarily agree to the fact that uh, our data is encrypted, uh, but that's a completely different argument. But yeah, but going uh, back to going back to your question, I don't I don't really think there's a uh, a standard that we can have to have a regulated way of you know having a measure in place it's going to be extremely difficult it's going to be hard man i, I don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't yeah i i'm not i'm not gonna be yeah i don't want to jump on that bandwagon where they say hey if they say it's encrypted it's encrypted uh, i'm with you on that i'm uh, uh the, the big tech companies are definitely among the people that uh, do not deserve the best of our trust just because of their track record mm -hmm. but uh the question really is, is even if it's not encrypted, Facebook can just say, hey, this is end-to-end -end encrypted. And that essentially means that they are 
washing their hands of all responsibility they hold over the information that's shared on our platform. Whether it's actually encrypted or not is a different question, but they they are just, you know, uh, foregoing all responsibility for everything that's shared on the platform. So to really simplify this question, if the debate was between prioritizing um, prioritizing between privacy and security, what would you choose? That's that's the underlying question here. Do you think a person's privacy is more valuable than the country's security? Is the question. I agree. I mean, I'm trying to, you know, let that sink in, and I want to keep you. Yeah, but a, I don't. More realistic I don't, answer. I don't. <laughs> Like, honestly, I don't expect an answer here because I don't have one either. But this has been something that I've been thinking about. I I read uh, Snowden's book very recently. And all I could think of is, yes, he was a warrior for the privacy of all the Americans who had their information collected by uh, by the government without their permission. But leaking all that information uh just means that he's created a huge security risk uh, a lot of external companies uh, i mean external agencies might know or have the chance of knowing information about american citizens now so um that balance between privacy and security is a really interesting question that uh think a lot of people need to think about more moving forward because in the age of social media i think that's going to be a really really big question that uh, the government has to answer really soon so yeah do you have any comments on that or yeah i think i think i, I definitely support you on that because uh just like you mentioned i don't necessarily have an answer for that but at the same time it's something that i haven't really uh you know thought about it for quite some time because in my view, privacy is as much as important as the security of my data. So, but if you if, if you ask me if there is a specific way of, you know, balancing that, it's going to be extremely difficult. So, yeah. I don't know, it's going to be interesting. I think, I think uh, to be honest, I haven't really thought about how uh, media uh, or the tech companies are handling that. Okay. Uh, given the fact that how much of our information is already compromised. So <laughs> it's 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 yeah. getting scary at the moment, yeah. Yes. Okay. So again, let's do another topic shift because I feel we've hit another brick wall here. Um, I want to kind of uh, switch this over to uh, our shared obsession with Sam, ha- Sam Harris. Um, maybe you can get started off with how you heard about him first and... Um, how you're following him currently and uh, why you uh, relate to him uh i think i think my first uh uh my first if i, if I have to go back i'm just trying to think my first instance of me listening to sam harris when i was introduced i think i was listening to a podcast uh uh regarding science and when i was trying to uh read books related to uh spirituality uh and uh you know, neuroscience, I was really interested about it. I was, I was looking, I don't want to mention the podcast name here, but I was actually uh, trying to look at the related uh, podcasts available. And uh, uh, surprisingly, I, I fortunately, I'm 
I stumbled upon Sam Harris's podcast, uh, the Making Sense podcast, and uh, it was it was just you know when when I started to I have a really strong uh, for people who are listening. I think I have a uh, I wanted to make it clear that I have a really long drive when I go back and forth to my work. I roughly travel about a uh, hundred miles a day. So oh I my think god, <laughs> that sounds like fun. No, it, it <laughs> I, I hate it. I hate it as much as I hate uh, you know listening to you know the random conspiracy theories that come in social media so uh but but that's when i stumbled upon his podcast and i listened to one of the uh episodes about how he talked about the impact that we have uh on an existing society uh uh where he talked about uh, I, I i one of the biggest uh uh impressions that his podcast made uh to me was the fact that he was actually he was actually giving me information and it was no crap at all it's it's mm. ab- it was absolutely factual statements and uh, and, give, and and given the reviews and given the uh, the type of content and given the type of people he's uh, having the conversation with uh, i think it makes a lot more uh, sense to me now than before uh, mm. to listen to uh, you know, important facts and statements. I think uh, that's why that's why I started reading more of his uh, contents online. I started sub- subscribing, and a couple of episodes into it, and I, I and I was pretty much confident that it's going to be uh, some of my weekly drivers because I, I think his episodes are releasing once a week, and mm. uh, I think I, it could be. Uh, I, I have to be absolutely honest. I'm not a regular uh, podcast listener, so. I, I try to filter the topics or the episodes uh, depending on what my mood of the day is. So mm. if it's if it's going to be a really tiring day, I just go with uh, most you know quickest podcast or some of the easy content. And if I if I wanted to actively listen to something interesting, I would be uh, I wouldn't have any second thought to go into uh, to Sam Harris's podcast. But I and I and I I want to say I've started reading his. Uh, uh, books and i think i'm roughly about 10 percent uh in completion of his uh of one of his books i think it's called uh waking up the family okay Okay. so i have also subscribed to his waking up uh app uh his content on the internet so it's uh and i really like his ideology of uh, how he wants to look at spirituality uh in more of a from a, from a skill based point of view rather than mm. uh, sci- uh rather than mythological and uh, mm. you know imaginary uh, stories i think i think his he he wants to he wants people like us to look at it from uh in a, from a different approach so mm. that's that's something interesting i have i think i am starting to like that yeah it does look like you've uh taken a liking for his uh, for the spiritual side of Sam's work especially his meditation side of things yeah and I I'm not done reading waking up as well I think I'm 80% through it and yes there is a lot of value uh, to his theories on meditation and spirituality without religion Um, but I think we'll save that part of his work for a different podcast i feel like uh, there's enough content in that for for a podcast on its own but um the 
the topic that I want to discuss about that's uh, that I feel would kind of link to the social media thing that we were discussing um, is the entire argument on free will. Um, are you aware of uh, Sam's argument on this or? Uh... No, I'm not. So I mean, is there something that you want to share? Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'll kind of give you a, I'll try to do, as best a job as I can trying to get this point across, but I have to warn you that it's fairly complex, but um, here we go. So let's get started by uh, trying to define as best as we can what consciousness is. Uh, The definition that Sam uses the most, and honestly the one I best understand, is from Thomas Nagel's paper, What Is It Like to Be a Bat? Uh, The basic argument in this paper is that an organism can be considered to be conscious only if it's only if uh, there is something that it's like to be that organism. Uh, The example quite popularly and as the uh, title suggests used by Thomas Nagel was that of a bat. So he argues that it has to be like something for the bat to be a bat right? We, we certainly don't expect it to be any similar to what it what it is like to be human, but for a bat to be considered conscious, it has to feel a certain way to be it. Again, we really don't expect bat consciousness to be anything like human consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there really is no way to tell if sonar vision uh, is anything like human eyesight, for instance. But it has to be a certain way for the bat to have that sonar vision for the bat to be considered a conscious organism. So that's really our starting point, right? They're trying to understand what consciousness is. Um, It has to be like something to be a conscious human. Um, And if you think about it, this really uh, is our only interface through which we could experience basically anything everything that we can perceive external or internal has to be through this uh, interface of consciousness and uh, i think that's uh, that's really important to understand and then moving on to what we are really interested in is uh, free will right mm-hmm. so okay. free will really uh, is the feeling that you are the author of your own thoughts okay the, the feeling that the actions you do are completely because you chose to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say you decide to eat pizza for dinner. The feeling that you made that decision purely because you wanted to, that that right there is free will, right? So you are the author of your own thoughts is basically what free will is. And all religions, well, at least most of them, assume that humans have this free will. So, um, religions, basically, it it says that uh, every human in this world is free to make their own decisions. And these religions have their own set of doctrines, really. And if you make the right choices, you get rewarded with an eternity in heaven. Mm -hmm. Uh, The basis of religion is really simple when you think about it actually you you have a set of rules you're expected to follow it and if you choose to follow it you're rewarded with heaven in the afterlife Mm -hmm. Um, 
And again, it's really important to understand that religion just falls apart without this concept of free will, right? Because if free, if if people are not free to choose what they want to do, uh, one can easily argue that everyone who chooses to follow religious doctrine does so due to factors completely out of his control. So, mm-hmm. um, for religion to have any kind of merit, uh, free will needs to needs to exist, and this is exactly the point where Sam and several other neuroscientists uh, disagree with religion, really. They argue that free will is an illusion, that uh, there, there really does not appear to be any substantive evidence right, for free will to, be, uh, uh, to exist from a neuroscientific standpoint. Everything that we do, um, every choice that we make, uh, basically every thought that arises, uh, neuroscientists argue, is a is a result of several external factors. Like it, it, it could be genetics, it could be the environment, and sometimes uh, it's just pure random firing of neurons in in the brain. So the argument from a scientific uh, standpoint really is that nobody is the author of their own thoughts although it certainly feels that way, uh, thoughts just appear in our consciousness for us to experience. We, we really have no control or how these thoughts arise. Like, like I said, these thoughts just arise due to external factors, like uh, various factors, like I said, uh, your genetics, your, the environment, and, and whatnot. Uh, we can really only witness these thoughts uh, as they appear in our consciousness. Um, because, like I said, consciousness is the is the only interface through which we can really experience anything. So, uh, we only experience these thoughts in our consciousness and really have no control over uh, over how these thoughts appear. Really, um, and it's really not that hard to break the solution down. Actually, so as an exercise, you could close your eyes for a second and uh, listen to the voices in your head. There definitely seems to be some kind of a voice, you know, almost like a person in your in a head, right? And most of the time, it's your voice, but also you're in constant conversation with this voice. So, what's really going on here? It certainly feels like a a self uh, resides in your head, like a focal point from which all your thoughts arise, almost uh, like a like a tiny person sitting in your brain. Uh, who's uh, authoring all your thoughts. So, if you are the author of your thoughts, you should be, or or if it, or if, it, if you feel like you're the author of your thoughts, you should certainly be uh, in a position to be able to get these thoughts to stop appearing, right? So, but the second you try and do that, the second you try and mute all these thoughts in your in your brain, uh, the second you attempt to stop these thoughts from arising, is when you realize that you have absolutely no control over these thoughts that arise in your brain. Mm-hmm. Thoughts just arise. The thoughts are generated. Uh, the thoughts, like I said, it's it, it's just created by external factors, none of which are exter- uh, essentially in our control. Um, we really are. We really are like a a boat with no paddles really that and and we just move in whatever direction 
the river takes us, uh, why it feels like we possess a free will and uh, we author our own thoughts is totally a different discussion, but the punchline really is that we are not the author of our own thoughts. This is a bit of a, a tricky concept to get your head around, but once you do, you basically understand that nothing that you you know, kind of decide is ever decided by a self in you, but it's decided by the environment that you that you grew up in. That is, it's de- decided by your genetics. It's decided by the events that followed uh, uh, your brain making that decision. So you really are not. Yeah, you're you really. Are. Yeah, you're really not in control of the thoughts that appear in your brain. So why I wanted to bring this topic up today is because of the entire social media thing. So Yuval Noah Harari in his book, Homo Deus, he argues that because we know that there's no free will and we're not uh, actively the authors of our own thoughts, external at, external factors become hugely influential on the society, right? So mm-hmm. if you took the election in 2016, uh, Russians were essentially able to program millions of Americans through social media uh, to to vote for the person that they wanted to, right? So uh, the level of influence that social media has on the decisions that we make is beyond, you know, uh, it's not benign anymore. Like you could actively make people think what you want them to think by gaming their social media feed. If if you expose them to enough content on on certain things, their mind has already been changed without them even realizing it. So, uh, in Yuval uh, in Yuval Noah Harari's book, he he mentions some scare. I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm coding this. Uh, I'm getting the data wrong, but um, a Facebook algorithm can answer a personality questionnaire about you uh, with better accuracy than your colleague if you like. If you if you just liked ten things on Facebook, right? So uh, when I say a, a personality questionnaire, that's it's essentially a gauge of how much the algorithm knows you as a person. So you could you could interpret it as if you if you liked ten ten things on on Facebook, like ten posts or uh, ten pages or whatnot, the algorithm would answer a personality questionnaire about you better than your colleague. And and with 100 likes, uh, it does better than your family members. And with 300 likes, the algorithm does better than uh, than your spouse would. So that's the level of accuracy with which these algorithms will be able to judge us and you know understand our thoughts. So moving forward, um, there's this huge concern that large corporations might be able to like deliver content to us that will force us to think in a certain way and uh you know completely get rid of i mean shatter this feeling of self even though we we think we are the author of our own thoughts we're like completely influenced by an external factor here uh, and this seems to be a huge concern that um some of the some of the neuroscientists are sharing in the current age and it is also something that I've been thinking of for a long time now. And uh, I know it's a, 
if you, if this is the first time you're hearing it, I think it might be a lot of information to process all at once. But do you have any thoughts that arise uh, right right now on this? I just just to wrap my head around this, I think some of which is uh, something that I that I've already heard in the past. Mm. Uh, specifically, the decision that we make uh, is not necessarily ours. It's just a uh, a manifestation of a lot of different variables and factors around us that tend mm. uh, to influence us. That's something that I've heard in the past, but I haven't necessarily put that in a specific definition. But uh, but I, but something uh, that I didn't know is when you started to talk about uh, the details behind uh, uh, Sam Harris's content, where, where you specifically mentioned about how the decision that you make in your in your brain is not necessarily yours. Mm. It's it could be something that's already programmed and then you're just an observer uh, exactly. rece- receiving that. And it, I, I believe it's, to, to put it simply, uh, you do not have, uh, you do not make a conscious effort uh, to decide what you're thinking about. It's more or less responding to what's something already reflected uh, as a response and then you are basically following that is that correct or am i trying to get that uh almost like uh even if you put in the conscious effort mm-hmm. to you know um the, the farthest you can go is to actually realize that these thoughts are appearing in your consciousness there's still physically no way to actually control the thoughts that arise Thoughts mm-hmm. just arise. So there's even if you put in a conscious effort to realize that thoughts are ar- arising, that's where the buck stops. You you can't go further than that. I think that's what uh, Sam wants to get at with his meditation app. So mm-hmm. he wants to train people to be able to uh, see thoughts arise in the consciousness. That way, um, for example, if you're anxious or angry, you can you can witness angry thoughts appearing in your consciousness and you can treat it for and you can take it as what what it is it's just a thought that arose in your consciousness and you know that with time that thought is going to pass away there's no way to prevent that thought from arising because uh, like you said that's totally beyond our control but you can certainly be in control of how you react to the thoughts that uh, 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 appear in your brain but um uh again uh, i want to get that clear here like when i say react again that is again encoded by your brain but the action of observing that thought as a thought rather than a there rather than experiencing anger uh often helps you to have a more sane reaction uh rather than being you know completely out of control when it comes to your emotions so that that is the reason why he advocates uh, meditation as a tool to kind of uh, you know keep keep on top of all the emotions that arise uh, in your brain I understand I think mm-hmm. uh, you know it's surprising me to an extent uh, and at the same time it's quite frankly a little frightening to know that uh, we do not have control over uh, our own thoughts and conscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you, when you specifically um, give me an example of how 
uh, when you try to mute all your uh, thoughts. When I think about it, it's it's just impossible for me. That that's yeah, it's actually frightening. So uh, it's something to think about, but I don't I don't necessarily know uh, how we can have a control over something that's out of Not, our hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I feel like. Um... we could we could take this up on on a podcast of its own so mm-hmm. i kind of want to wrap this up because we're almost hitting 2 hours now uh, mm-hmm. we're coming close to that so okay. uh, i want to kind of wrap this up by uh, giving you a chance to talk about all the things that you're that's currently in your radar of the things that you're worried about um things that you worry about on a regular basis uh it might be personal uh like things that you want to change about yourself it could be things about uh the entire human species um uh do you have anything on the top of your head that uh, you're currently worried about or thinking about uh anxiously sure uh i want to start this off on a very personal note and i want to start it from myself so mm-hmm. due to the recent events uh the recent pandemic uh surrounding the current coronavirus i think uh i've gone i've gone to a point where i've started to realize how i've been reacting to a lot of uh the events that happened in the past couple of weeks and uh um if i go back in time uh specifically uh to first week of march i think that's when a lot of people started to realize this could be a potential a potential global threat but mm-hmm. it was still uh way below the uh, it, it, it wasn't a flashing red uh of, of, and it wasn't a flashing danger for a lot of people it was uh, uh quite honestly for me uh, from a personal standpoint i wasn't thinking that this is going to be a huge issue but mm. once i uh came back uh from india roughly about the second week when we hit the second week of march is when everybody turned their uh, cameras towards the us and everybody wanted to know what's uh US going to do with this specific issue given that it's already going out of control and people don't even know what to what to do with this uh, with no vaccination or um no sort of testing uh yeah. so to speak so what what i started to realize now is that uh i i i wake up every i used to wake up every morning the first thing that i do is you know open up i have this really bad habit of you know opening up twitter in the morning trying to see what's trending uh yep. and uh think i have to stop doing that because it started to have a toll on my mental health and mm. uh, it started to reflect on my day-to-day activities starting from mm. you know living with my family and and i recently moved in with my wife and, uh, i'm staying with my brother right now and his family so uh they were able to see how just these sort of events is affecting me as a person because i used to overreact uh uh to be to these kind of events so for me personally uh i think I, i've gone to a point where i've started to realize that i have to take uh take everything down to uh down a notch and uh, you know try to let it go as it is and just hope for hope for some some sort of a miracle to happen uh you know you know somebody around the globe uh eventually come up with some sort of a vaccine or a cure uh, to end this pandemic altogether just like how we were treating uh the previous uh widespread viruses like the uh the swine flu the ebola and all that stuff so on a personal note i think i have to start 
realizing that all of these events which are totally not in our control uh, mm. it should it should be dealt in a more light way and mm. i have and you know a lot of people who are close to me know that uh, once i get into a uh, uh, a mode which i call as self destructive mode because i uh, because i i take i go to it, i zone out on a, on a personal uh, on a different space and uh, i start mm-hmm. to overthink about difficult difficult different possibilities of how this could go wrong even though i know for a fact uh, that i don't have any control over what, uh, what's going to be the outcome so mm-hmm. that's something that i'm trying to work on and that's why i started to you know, subscribe to uh, sam harris's meditation and that's one of the driving forces that mm-hmm. you know wanted uh, that that's why i pu- push myself to do something productive and i'm hoping that it's going to be uh, useful to move forward have you been uh, meditating uh, yes, on a regular uh, basis started, yeah I, i've started to do that from uh, from last week and i have to say it's uh, it's initially it was difficult because it's i think i think it's just a way how you how you deal how you deal with any sort of skill so mm. say for example if you're learning if you're trying to learn a language uh, a different language is going to be uh, it's going to be difficult and you have to uh, take that with a uh, uh, just have to bite the bullet and just go forward with it hoping mm. hoping that you would uh, master that but, you know as in as in when you progress and when you try to understand the fruits uh, mm. of your progress and when you're trying to make the progress and when you see that reflecting on your day on a daily basis uh, i think that's something that i'm looking forward to i am definitely uh, trying to put in on my efforts to you know, follow that on daily basis just something that i'm actually proud of because i've had the 10 days streak of continuing that meditation so it's really good yeah and I, 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 and i'm hoping that it's going to be useful too because mm. uh, i've heard a lot of good reviews about his content and uh, i have a strong feeling that uh, it's going to be it's going to be useful down the line yeah and, uh, i think and, i started and, that and mm-hmm. uh, couldn't get past day 2 so you definitely <laughs> have uh, Uh, more resilient than i do so good luck yeah <laughs> it was it was it's 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 a, it's a huge task uh mm. trying to sit sit yourself down uh in a calm composed environment right now it's going to be and, and you know trying to follow something that's it's new it's going to be difficult you know try to put those pieces together uh you know you eventually have to do something different and hope that it just works out together and and hopefully I've been fortunate enough to go to go to that 10 day streak so I wish to follow that moving forward okay mm-hmm. um yeah i think that this has been also something that not just you i think even me uh and a lot of people have had to deal with during this pandemic and that is this anxiety and i yeah like i I did also have to uh, stop myself from looking at the stats every morning because it was just at at one point it was just get getting alarming and like you said it starts to affect the people around you. Um I cannot agree with you more that there are some cases where this 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 personal actions that you can do, right? Like staying home mm-hmm. and that's as far as you can go and being worried about it, worried about things that you can't control beyond that. Um is just a recipe for disaster so yeah that is definitely i think both you me and a lot of other people have been dealing with uh during this pandemic um yeah i am 
I am also trying to cope with that. Um, so what about uh, the other stuff? Do you, are you thinking about uh, any, are there, are there concerns on a global level that uh, is in your radar? Uh, what did, did have, had you been thinking about pandemics before uh, this one hit us? No, to be, to be quite honest with you, I haven't, I have never really thought about this, but I was really confident about uh, our, uh, you know, healthcare advancements and mm. not that I really follow what, what we, what we do and what we try to achieve uh, in that mm. field, but I was really confident that we would be able to uh, mitigate all sorts of uh, healthcare uh, diseases, but this was just going out of proportion. And then sure. this, this, this sort of uh, proves a point to us saying that when things go out of control and then all we can do right now is just to, you know, when, when one of the biggest, when some of the biggest minds in the industry don't have the answers mm. to a simple question that goes to show how weak we are uh, as a humankind, which means you know, we, we try to raise uh, as much as we can uh, mm. and establish and discover new technologies and, and invent new solutions. Uh, but at mm. the same time, uh, when you get hit with some sort of an, an unknown event uh, or uncertain events, uh, it just breaks you down. Uh, and a lot of the number of deaths on a daily basis for this recent pandemic is, I believe, has gone over 80,000, if I'm not wrong. Or maybe my data is, my numbers oh. could be completely wrong. No, no, that's way off, I think. <laughs> yeah. But... Oh, is it? Okay. I mean, I, I just wish, I just wish, uh, I, I, I wish the numbers are smaller than that, but. Uh, I, oh no, you're right. Wow. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, you're talking about the entire planet, right? Yes, the entire globe. Oh, it said it said ninety five thousand. I thought you were talking about the U.S. Okay. No, it, no, I'm talking about the entire globe. Okay, okay, yeah. It's it's, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's that's crazy. It's not, it's not, <laughs> so, for for me to wrap my head around something this huge, and and me being a part of it, the best that I can do is just stay home, uh, and. Uh, to realize the number of people uh, that are putting their lives at risk uh, just to cope with this uh, new pandemic is just uh, as much as I want to appreciate them, uh, mm. it just rises a thought uh, of how powerless as a creature we are. Mm. So I I just wanted to hope I, I just want this to get down and I just want to get this all over with as much as as, as soon as we could. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. And, yeah. and something else, uh, you know, if, I, if, if you want to shift the focus out of uh, this coronavirus, I think something that's always been on the back of my mind is global warming. And, uh, and no matter how much of scientific evidence you, you, you show and you prove, uh, some of the world leaders don't think that it's true and they don't react to it. Uh, quickly and as a human as a human force i wish we are a lot more proactive i wanted us to be a lot more proactive and not be reactive so Mm. uh, i don't know how far we are in terms of uh you know mitigating that risks uh in terms of global warming but i would only be surprised if 50 years or 70 years down the line uh you and i sitting in a sitting in a condo or a different apartment looking at the news saying that you know we're going to hit on a, on, a, on a different i wouldn't be surprised if something huge happens and mm. i wouldn't be I, I i i think our generation would be the one to blame 
what yeah. do you think about it? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, even for me, uh, just going a little back on the things that you said, uh, a pandemic was definitely not on my top three things on my list that uh, I was thinking about. It was definitely, like I said, global warming was right up there. And uh, I, I I was also pretty alarmist about AI and uh, uh, nuclear war. Um, but yeah, the, the global warming thing, it is a big problem primarily because it requires the entire world to kind of agree on it, right? And like, you cannot have um, half the world uh, take actions and the rest of the world not take any actions and solve this problem because the problem of global warming crosses borders and what, and every country on the planet needs to contribute. And that seems to be such a difficult task in the current political climate uh, because like, countries have uh, seem to have uh, seem to be moving towards extremely nationalist societies where they they only want to uh, look after themselves and uh, don't want to work with other nations so mm-hmm. yeah that's like a <laughs> that's that's a problem right there but yeah i don't want to get in detail about any of these but yeah like global warming is the biggest one i i do think about uh, artificial intelligence a lot. Uh, I think about uh, nuclear war. Uh, on the pandemic thing, yeah, I, I hadn't been thinking about it uh, too much recently, so it did completely hit me out of uh, uh, left field. I, like it was, I was totally unprepared for it. But I do remember at least. Uh, I think this was when I was doing my bachelor's degree, so that's at least four years ago now. When I was talking to one of my friends who was doing. Uh, a medical degree and he was talking about how uh, we are completely un- unprepared for a superbug. So he was talking about bacteria. He was talking about drug-resistant bacteria that mm-hmm. has evolved to uh, resist all the antibiotics that we currently have. And he was complaining about how um, there's no incentive for uh, for medical companies to make uh, uh, drugs for diseases that don't exist yet because they just don't have a market to sell it. Like there's no incentive to make uh, a drug that drug for a bacteria that might uh, that might be drug resistant in like ten years. But when that when that infection hits, uh, we're gonna be so unprepared for it that uh, it's it's gonna be scary. But this was a conversation that I had with him like. Uh, four years ago and i completely forgot about it but (laughs) yeah like four years down the line and we're still unprepared and uh, i don't know how we can change that i don't i I still don't know how we can incentivize this unless the government actively tries to you know funnel money into this because i don't see this uh as the free market like uh, there's no way that uh a private drug company would invest in making a drug for a disease that doesn't exist yet. So mm-hmm. it has to be some kind of uh, an effort from the government to make um, that kind of advancement. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think we've been going on for quite a bit now. Uh, and I think yeah. we should uh, try and wrap this up. Do you have yeah. any 
any anything else to add or uh, we can just start a, right just a quick up. observation that i that mm -hmm. i wanted to ask you to see if you had if you faced uh, a similar situation just like i did but you're surprised when you uh when you saw uh, uh a video from uh, from ted pop up on a youtube recommended recommended videos uh where uh bill gates was explaining oh yeah about, were you surprised when you saw that video or weren't you i had or... apparently already watched it <laughs> so or... yeah like yeah. <laughs> again like i i feel like i had a lot of this had just slipped out of my brain okay so like yeah it, like... i think that's the exact representation of you know when, when you extrapolate that to uh, a global scale I, I i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if a billion or a or more people forgot uh, the same particular video uh, mm. or the content that was shared because that 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 goes to show how much uh, uh, I, I mean on a personal note that's that I, I grew it, it took a whole lot of effort from me uh, mm. to wrap my head around it because uh, when, when when a person on that stage is able to forecast such an event uh, in the future. I think that the video surface was initially uh, surfaced on the internet roughly about in 2015, uh, mm. and that was five five years ago. Yeah. If he was able to forecast that five years ago, and we still get, didn't get prepared, but what I else? Think, what else can we do? <laughs> I think he was doing his bit. Like to be completely fair on him, I think he was he was funding a research that was trying to uh, develop a an influenza vaccine that would work mm -hmm. on every single strand. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, like it, it, I think there's just not enough people working on this and there's not enough incentive for the, for the major pharma companies to get into this research because there's not any money uh, uh, that will motivate them to do it, uh, which is kind of yeah. sad. Yeah. Just wanted to know what's, what's your thought on that? Because it was, I was taken aback because I haven't seen <laughs> that video uh, until recently. Uh, mm. So it was, it was a shocker to me. <laughs> yeah, even uh, I think there's also a video Sam uh, on Joe Rogan. I think mm -hmm. six years ago, where he's mm -hmm. talking about uh, a global pandemic. So it's not like oh, wow. uh, a lot of people did expect this to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, we're just so unprepared for it, and it's uh, startling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On that extremely optimistic note, I think uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on, and I hope we, uh, we can have more conversations like this moving forward. I expect to be doing a lot more of this, uh, especially in this quarantine time. So I'm looking forward to having you on again. Thanks a lot, Rishi. Pleasure's mine. Okay.